makes you as think though we are all the same, <laughs> as though we share the same taste. I think a quick perusal of my video collection will tell you <laughs> many of us walk to the beat of our own drummer. Empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Nice water, my friend. Got it. All right. So welcome to Made to Think with your host, Ninjam. I am buzzing. I have my first official special guest tonight who happens to be a longtime friend of mine and a fucking superstar producer, DJ, all round top man, Mr. Jerry Rapero. Good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, my brother. How are you? How is the people watching this? Shit. Let me tell you something. We met like what? 20 two 24 years ago wow. playing together at ministry of sound london no no it was pasha we played it pasha oh pasha 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 even better even better even better pasha. <laughs> yeah we met um but prior to that i was working for unique records and distribution and i remember your track came in i think the first one that made me become a fan of you was your praise cats Remix. Oh, oh yeah. no, may, maybe yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. something. Was it Caraco before that or after? I think it was more or less the same time because as we did Corazao, we were also doing like a couple of remixes a, a, a week. So that's where they ordered us to do. Which label was it actually? It's what's that? The label. The label where. Oh um, shit! It was the it was this, it was the European version because later it got put onto. A UK like I can't remember. Fuck. Um, that's a good question. I should know that. We we ended up doing I think we did the exclusive, but the original was some was some um uh you should know. <laughs> but it was no an it was an absolute storm of that. That really took you to the next level. What when I say that, I mean for the UK DJs, he put you on the map. Everybody played that song. You know, praise cats, Jerry Pero remix. It was a fucking thunderbolt, absolute monster. So, anyway, before we get cracking into all of that, um, that's your first memory of me when we met at Pasha and we killed right. that. Right. I I remember I was warming up for you, and it was the, the time when we were all playing vinyl, and I um oh man, I was so excited. We the VIP, remember the VIP room in the in Pasha? It was really comfortable. You could get loads of girls in the back. Um, what I remember about that night is the manager gave me like. 10 VIP tickets and I think you told me like go out there and get all the fittest girls you can find. <laughs> That's and probably me. Uh, so tell my my favorite childhood memory um with music was probably uh, Michael Jackson. That's what got me got, really got me into music. I remember my granddad had the um Thriller and I every time I used to go to my granddad's he let he let me put it on the on the, the needle on the record. So that was my first experience of putting a tune onto a vinyl. And I, I was obsessed. What what was your first record that you can remember putting a needle on a record? Oh, that's a very good question. Very complicated as well. But I'm going to try to go way, way back. And I would say absolutely Michael Jackson was there too. But the first one, I think it was Shade. Shade. Oh, yeah. Fuck. 
and 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 uh, George Michael. Yeah, right. George Michael, definitely George Michael. Yeah. Who was the first person in your family to have a turn to have a, like a turntable where you had access to records? Oh no, no, I had the turntable. Oh, I had the my, my dad had uh, the um, I don't know now the the Tascam, the Tascam uh, bobbins, you know. So. Oh. Yeah, 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 coming from a little bit way before amazing sound because yeah. I, I used it later on in some studios. It's really analog, great to to record vocals on it, and then you know digitalize it back on the computer. Uh, but yeah, that was I, I had the first one. You you remember those ones that you had to open like this, and then yeah. you had radio and something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like that, a giant that. cassette, right? But better quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So well, where did where did you grow up? Where? Yeah. Oh, that's a very good question too. Actually, I am not like Wikipedia or whatever they say. I am born in Belgium, in Antwerp, the the city of diamonds, very yeah. famous worldwide. Uh, to a Belgian mother and a bunch of Belgian family, and my father, who was always actually the Spaniard. And then uh, when when I was 13, well, he decided to leave Belgium. He wanted to go back to his country. And of course, we had to follow. And uh, so I grew up till 13 in Belgium. And then from 13 again, till my, I think, 19, I was in Spain. And then I left. I left to Brazil. Wow. Tough decision, but very funny decision. I had a monster life. I was already touring in whole Brazil and uh, had then later an amazing um, uh, residency in Sao Paulo. Beautiful life, a very beautiful girlfriend, I have to say. And uh, I got the, the the letter from from the Spanish army telling me I gotta come back. Oh shit, for real. Yeah, otherwise I wouldn't be able to enter Spain like in the next 10 or 15 years. I was like, all right, okay, so good. So I went from very luxurious life in Brazil to a place where 3,000 soldiers, soldiers were all living together. It was a little bit of a change, or a little bit of a big change, but hey, you know, we did it and, uh, and that's it. So... So okay, um, just for the people who are listening, let's 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 um, introduce yourself properly because I, I know who you are. But give a brief a brief uh, introduction about your life so far, your accolades. Um, so I am as you said, as we just said, I'm half Belgian, half Spaniard. Um, I'm a music producer, mainly house music. Did a lot of remixes. Been very fortunate to be. Awarded with gold and platinum records for what I did. Yeah. Um, and you deserve that as well. Well done. <laughs> I, I, always thought, I always thought they were sending it to the wrong person, but yeah, it, it <laughs> turned yeah. out it was me. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I, I, I got some very big hits. I started with Avant Garde, Get Down. Unfortunately, uh, because of internal issues with the guy from the studio. Studio which label? Which label was that? Sorry, but well, that was actually uh, on on on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I could have forget. My one of my best friends, Cesar Lores, the A&R from Blanco y Negro back then in Spain. Blanco y Negro, he, great, he, fucking brilliant. Yeah, that was brilliant. So, 
what when was how did you get into DJing? What 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 happened? What was like the the start of it? Oh, so I was not too comfortable at home. Let's say it this way. Um, my father actually is a singer too. He had a really big Spanish rumba hit called Taka Taka Ta. Um, but from the other side, from my mom's side, my grandfather was really an eminence in um, in the jazz world in Belgium. Oh, he was like very recognized, his big band. So I actually grew more up with the with jazz and with the Spanish folk music. Right. But I I I I had this already, you know, I, I think first time I heard Rick Astley or something like that, I felt like, okay, that's the beat. That's what I wanna I mean, it all started, you know, boiling boiling in, in my veins. I said that that's the way I wanna go, of course. In yeah, the eyes of my, Never gonna give you up. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never did actually. But <laughs> you know, in the in the eyes of my parents, it was music for 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 coke heads and and prostitutes and <laughs> well, then then I said, okay, I'm I'm in. You know, if that's for coke heads and, and prostitutes, I'm gonna make the music. But anyway, because I like it. And then at night, I was just like climbing over the balcony, going down like a gangster, out of my parents' house, going to a little bar where the guy was really playing well. And and when I saw the magic of this guy going from one record to the other, and I didn't even hear that, I was yeah. like, what the hell did you do? What, so what was, year are we talking here now? We're talking the 80s. We're talking end of the 80s, yeah. Um, right. Well, I remember when I did my first audition as a DJ, or at least I said I was a DJ, and right. they threw me out. Um, I, mean, I had to mix Billie Jean with another track I don't remember, but of course, impossible to beat match. Yeah, these people, I couldn't even beat match myself. Come on, let's, well, let's we, there was a problem with the old songs, there was never an intro, right? They were all a lot of them do, were done live, so you, you never, right. never that, did you the, laid them out like the, an eight track, an eight beat. The live thing that was the problem, the live thing. The live thing because you, you never went like a computer, so it was really uh, a drummer playing. So that was really, and if already you didn't know how to detail, at least that was my case. I just, you know, was was uh, telling uh, nothing, but saying that I'm a good DJ, and um, so they they threw me out. And then some months later, I, uh, I I started playing in a little bar, very nice bar. This way, I I I first heard Stonebridge's mix of um, "Show Me Love." Oh wow, tune! Oh, what a tune that is! Still gives Organ me goosebumps. So, did you were you buying records to DJ, or were you buying records to listen before you became a DJ? Did you already have a vinyl collection? A little one, a little yeah, one. very little, very little one. And in Spain back then, I don't know in the rest of the world actually. Good question. It was like that that uh, the bar or the club was buying the vinyls. Right. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I remember the days. Yeah, they always had like a good vinyl collection. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So you didn't have to come up with your own vinyls and and the headphones. Everything was already there. Uh, very sweaty headphones, and you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the, okay, whatever. Um yeah, and then 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 I got myself 
I got myself, I got myself what, uh, some Roland stuff. Uh, 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 you know, this, this, this very good keyboard that you could record on the keyboard. It was like, oh, okay, cool. it's already, it was something like well, that. That's, that's not normal for most DJs to go straight to an instrument. So, did you already have some instrument experience? Were you already learning keyboard? Uh, as well, I did eight years of uh, solfeggio, so I, I really learned to read music and to write music. So, right. that advantage, of course, there was no keyboard and nothing. I could play the guitar and a little bit of drums, right? And I specialized in drums together with those in those eight years that I was a musician or becoming a real musician. Um, so I'm actually a jazz drummer, right? Latin, so. That's why people say, ah, but when you do your drums and, and everything, yeah. it sounds really... I, I've learned it also, how to do it, and, and I grew up with it. I, I just grew up. Into yeah, you, you you have a signature on all your records, which is that kind of Latin percussion beat, which everybody loves. It just gets dance floors rocking. Totally, man. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. That's true. That's true. That's, that's where, because, you know, when I was in Unique, we used to get tons of records, and you'd get some DJs that you could just tell they had a musical background and they was they were more caring about the quality of the um, of the setup like a, like they were a full-on band by themselves you know what I mean right right right, right. so right. um what was what's the what was your mum and dad play you, you said you got you had a jazz influence at home yeah they Big they one. were play yeah both of your mum and dad had the same like um interest in music or they are different different yeah. um, styles my dad was really typical spanish rumba right you know, with the guitar. oh cool so that's where you get your, your your rhythm from right cool i like that yeah and from my 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 uh grandfather's side the nice jazzy chords you know i mean that's why i love musti so much he musti oh yeah musti's awesome yeah, i i love him to death uh, I appreciate him to death. He's a great musician and he can always put the right course, the right jazz course to make it house and to make people have goosebumps. That's his signature, you see? That's what mm. Right. And so is he the first DJ you liked or was he your first major influence? Of course, Frankie Knuckles. Yeah, uh, like, good, good but, choice. Um, I like Lauren Garnier. I play, I heard him play Fabric. Like, I just heard a recording of it, and it was just like something I'd never heard before. It was so weird, so eclectic, you know. Yeah, who was the first DJ you saw live? Like, you know, real name. First DJ I saw live, I think it was Bob Sinclair. Oh, wow, yeah. I got to meet him over here. <laughs> He's a nice guy. I think I've been, uh, we, we are in pretty nice contact. I've been actually WhatsApping him uh, last week because we just finished uh, the new version. I think I, I sent you the new version of uh, the track Fuck You that I did oh, back yeah. then with them. So we finished it. It will come out now in 2024. People will be very wow. Uh, Tune to it because I already put a little uh, post on on my Instagram, Jeroper Official, double F, and there you can hear like, I think like a snippet of thirty uh, seconds. I think you're not gonna like it. It's, it's going to be. It's really different than the fuck you we know from back then. Mm -hmm. It keeps the. It's very very 
tribally, Afro, you know, at the end of the day, and this is something very interesting to say, we back then were like three playgrounds. It was like the house one, the R&B, and the trance. Yeah. That's it. Now it's all so mixed up with everything that... that oh, it's, it's just like a umbrella of electronic music. All right, all right, but I don't think that EDM sounds the same like the house I'm doing. Yeah. So then it started all with organic house and okay, guys, look to me, house is house. Yeah. And 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 thanks life that the real house is still staying there. People still appreciate appreciate it. Yeah. House is yeah, house is making a revival. All my friends in England, all the big labels, yeah. all the all the big names, they're all they've all just come together and said, you know what, enough's enough. We need to bring this back. Even in Manchester, I want to give a big shout out to a guy called Andy Cleek. They've just opened a new bar which was it shut down 16 years ago, and it was the place to be. And everybody's oh. going back there now, 16 years later, you know, because they want to hear all the old house tunes. So no doubt somebody would be playing your tunes. There's going to be a bunch <laughs> of DJs listening to this uh, this interview and they all know you. They, they think you're an absolute legend. So keep playing that <laughs> Jerry Apparel sound. Um, what was the equipment you were using when you first started? I guess I'm guessing it was belt drives, right? Or was it, was it, it wouldn't have been Technic straight away? Oh, oh uh, no, no, no. Lenko, Lenko. Lenko. Oh, I don't even know what that is. Lenko. Lenko was the first turntable I was using with, and it was like, uh, clock, clock, I think it was like, okay, 33, 45, and there was 70 something, and it was like, <laughs> and still you have to be like, you know, keeping it oh. in a way that you don't hear that it's going a bit too fast or a yeah. bit too For, for, for DJ. For for modern DJs, they've got no idea how difficult belt drives were, or even those, you know, those little uh, Gemini, those little spinning things. I I I use yeah. them jog wheels for horrible. Well, horrible. There is something I want to say here, very important. Yeah. When I see stupid posts, like if you put two techniques in front of DJs from today and they cannot use it, then you're not a real DJ. This is fucking stupid. But I agree. I mean, I agree. I used to say that, but it's not fair, is it? You gotta, you gotta evolve with technology. It's the evolution. It's the evolution. Yeah. I'm very sure if we would look at it now in another way, we would be DJing still with vinyls, right? Mm -hmm. And those guys in the future come to us and they put us those pioneer and everything. We wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. So, it, I remember a story of a friend of mine, and he said to me, yeah, my son, 10 years old, um, he asked me to, it was way back in the times of the CDs, yeah? And yeah. he said, oh, I want to have a, a vinyl record for my birthday. So he bought uh, the vinyl record for him. And like a couple of months later, the vinyl was still, you know, on the shelves. He went to him and said, yo, why don't you use a vinyl? He said, because when I turned the vinyl, I don't know, sorry, because it's just one song. That's the truth. Just one song. So my friend asked him, did you turn around the vinyl? I was like, what do you mean with around? The CD kiddies, yeah? <laughs> so I was like, no, 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 our vinyls, you can, there's more music in the back. Very interesting. No, but I mean. I, <laughs> That's funny. I heard, I heard, um, Heard uh, wait 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 I have an incoming call I'm very sorry. I heard DJ Je uh, DJ Jazz Jeff sorry uh, yeah. saying something some days ago which I've been saying like six months or uh, years 
since the sync button came out. Yeah. Oh god. People who is complaining about sync button, yeah, that is stupid. That blah blah blah. Not the real DJ. These are the real shitty DJs who complain about that because at the end of the day, it's like saying, "Hey, um, it's stupid to have already some sample pads on it." Right. But why? Technology is giving us more and more and more possibilities to make or to do a better job. Yeah. So if you're comfortable DJing with sync, which I do also, right? Because it's really comfortable. You can be busy with other things, more effects, more this, more that. Looking at this, having a little bit more time to look uh, for for another record, or you just loop the record and in sync also. So if you don't want to use sync. Good. And if you want to use sync, that's good too. But don't go judging like everything in this life, judging people for what. I think you I think the, the point to make there then is exactly what you said. If you're using sync because you want to be creative, then that's great. But if you're just using sync just to, you know, swing wing it, then that's not fair, really. There's no effort, is there really? You know, just stealing tunes off somebody and just going in a bar and just pressing sync. That ain't being a DJ. But creatively layering things is, is very cool, yeah. And I the think end... I think the opposite. If you go to a bar just using sync, it's good too because at the end of the day, it, it's not if you're using sync. And and Jazzy Jeff said exactly the same. And we know that because we are really from the old school of the DJs. At Jedi. the end, <laughs> yeah, but nobody cares if you have a Eckler or an older uh, uh, mixing desk, or you have the newest Pioneer or or whatever it is. People don't know that. 90% go to dance. They go to start to try to get a woman, to try to get a man, to get yeah. drunk, to eat, to have fun, to whatever. They don't care. As long as the music is cool, yeah. you're a good DJ because you can read. You have the psychology of reading faces and see what do they need next. That right? that was, for me, the most the biggest pressure gr growing up in Manchester and DJing in clubs, you had to read the crowd because it was so interactive. And if you, if you made a boo-boo, like we had a rule in Manchester that if you fucked up the mix, I've done it a few times. I've took the wrong record off. I threw the record in the, in the crowd. And sometimes you get your record back, but you, you, you're under pressure that you're going to lose that valuable record, I you know? So <laughs> no. those were the great but times. <laughs> And we also have to think one one important thing. We are DJs. We are people giving a service. That's why they pay us for it. Yeah. Right? That, that's the definition of our job. And the most important thing in all this circus is that when you're going to play in the club, let's say, the club owner at the end of the night is going to count how much money he did. Yeah. He lost money. You're a shitty DJ. If you made him money, you're an amazing DJ, you get a rebooking. Yeah. And you talk the way you want, or you can have as many followers of, that you want on your Instagram, whatever it is. But if you're not making the sales for the club, yeah, through the music, you're not a DJ. Yeah, exactly. And 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 I'll be honest, that kind of happened to me. At one point in Vietnam, I was the main guy, like just every week. You know, you you overdo it. I had residencies all around town and people were tired of seeing me, but I just got burnt out and I, um, I, the, the crowd st started going to other places. They wanted to listen to other people. And that's when I, that's when I backed down. I just realized like, look, I've had, I've ticked all the boxes. What am I trying to get out of this now? When you start doing DJing for a job instead of the love, that's when you got to start 
thinking about, you know, yeah. what, what's the future here? Not to say I, I'm semi-retired at the moment just because I, I want to get more into writing and and spending time with my son, but I still That's got a, a love for it. I think I'm just in the wrong country, to be honest. But saying that, Vietnam's developed a lot recently. It's looking good. Where? In Vietnam. Like when I first started here, to get to get decent money, I had to play commercial music. What what I I wouldn't consider it commercial as such, but the underground DJs kind of like looked at me and said, "You're selling out." But when I'm going to get a thousand dollars or I'm going to get a hundred dollars to play an underground gig for me, it was an easy call because I had a son on the way. I needed to make yeah. money, and, and I was doing it full time. So, like you said before, I got confused with the genres. People were asking me for so many different things, and I was like. What I'm going to gigs now with 15 different genres, and I'm I'm having to listen to progressive house, techno, organic house, you know, dubstep, all this stuff, and I just got lost. Beatport became just a hollow hole. I was falling through this hole. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going crazy. It's going too crazy. I mean, we have to. Not re-educate, but at least to to the new coming DJs. My unsolicited advice is that focus on how you read the people. Yeah. And people will tell you what to play. Yeah. See if you navigate this, if you can navigate this, then you're gonna be a huge DJ. Of course, right. market is in Instagram and la 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 TikTok, whatever. But if you cannot read the, the crowd. That's it. You're done. It's over. Bye bye. Another, another another question. Do you remember the first time you got your name on a flyer? Because that was a big deal for me. Proper name on the flyer. And and was it just was? Have you always just been Jerry Repair, or did you have like some cheesy DJ name? <laughs> uh, no, but but it's a very good question too. I'm going to answer you to that because to the people and the new coming DJs, this is something you really really have to learn. And what yeah. is this about? So first of all, when it was always Jero Pero. Yeah. Uh that's your real yeah, name that, as well, right? Hey, it's it your, my passport. Yeah. So forget my name. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, what you know. So it's just, a cool, it's one. just a cool name. <laughs> some 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 people say it's a porn name. Right. <laughs> I saw if Rocco was still given an audition, but I don't think so. But um <laughs> uh no. The the only project I think was called uh, Avantgarde. Yeah, okay, remember now, that. Yeah, this yeah. was my name. They wanted like a generic name, and it was mm -hmm. actually with Terry B, big house diva, big yeah, sister yeah. of mine. We did fuck you and another more tracks together, and with DJ Maui, an outstanding DJ from Germany, very mm -hmm. great technician. Um, actually, so the head of Pioneer Europe at the moment, so he's really huge guy. Wow. Uh, um, so what I wanted to say, I always had those critics. Sometimes nowadays in my job as a as a therapist as well. We'll talk about this later. Yeah, yeah. Gary, you should, you know, when you do a house, you should well call, be called Jero Pero. But if you do trends, because I always tried all different things. I, I'm a musician, you know. Yeah, I'm not course. just able in house. Yeah. Then you use an AKA and then hello people. How can I build a brand? At the end, is building the brand too. So Jero Pera is the name which has to be in every household. Never better said household. Yeah, I like that. Right. Thank you for the idea. Um, and 
how can I build two brands at the same time? What right. happens if they say, you know, AKA uh, vape? Okay, I love to vape, by the way. And, and uh, vape has to be DJing in Edinburgh and JRP has to be DJing in Miami. How right, right. So that's the first big issue. Second big issue is you're going to confuse people anyway. People yeah. will never exactly what you are, what you do, etc. Exactly. Good thing is of using always the same name is that at the end, well, not at the end, but you know, a little further in my career, people say, well, Gigero Perry, he can produce any kind of style. You see? If I would have been using different AKAs for every shade, they would say, oh, oh, this was you, I didn't know. This was you too, I didn't know either. So this is That's really a good point. Yeah. So choose the name, stick to the and make the name big. Eh? So, Look at it. so the first Isn't time you got your name, your name on a fly, do you remember it? Where was no. it? What well, you don't remember? Like, I mean, okay, your first like big gig where you felt like this is it, I've made it. Whereas you know you were really like maybe because back back in the day you never used to have pictures of people on flyers. I used to collect flyers, and it for me it was always like Cal Cox was at the top, big big letters. So when when was you at the top, the headliner? So I remember when when um, they they scouted me to go live in, in Hamburg and be one of the five producers of uh, the new modern talking versions, the more modern modern talking version, uh, the one with the rapper, Eric Singleton, great productions. And, wow. and, and in the meanwhile that I was doing this at night together with DJ Maui, I just said, yeah, uh, we started doing Get Down. Yeah. And Get Down became a real big hit. Yeah. In Spain, I remember uh, there was a very big festival done by the radio, uh, Radio Cuarenta Principales, very famous also in Latin America. And um, this was like on each big beach of the of the cities in Spain during yeah. the summer. But this was a festival, a big, almost, let's say, like, a, I don't know, the, the Rolling Stones, oh, big, big thing. Yeah. And headliners, you cannot imagine. And then I was with my, at the time, ex-girlfriend. Uh, I wanted to see, to go to the beach during the day and to see how they were doing the sound check and who was coming there to do the sound check, etc. Yeah. And uh, I remember there was a band called Two Ibiza with the song Ooh La La La, oh, which had <laughs> like that. Gypsy. Uh, you yeah. remember that one? Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> La, 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 la. And then at that moment, for the first verse, comes up a black mama and took the mic, and she—I mean, everything, even almost a tsunami with the power of her voice on the beach. Wow! I was looking at her, and then my ex-girlfriend said to me, "We see Jerry. That's what you need." Yeah, I said, "Yeah, yeah. but with Malaga, where the hell am I gonna find an American singer like her? Impossible." Wow. You do you remember the name of her? Oh no. The singer. I'll tell you. I'll tell you now. I'll tell you now. So, um, they gave me a chance next year. The year, so following year, um, the guys from Cuarenta Principal is in Malaga because it was on the beach uh, uh, in Malaga, and they gave me an opportunity as a newcomer to be on that uh, lineup too. But of course, you couldn't even see my name was somewhere there, right. very down, and. <laughs> yeah. Guy in the summer at eight o'clock 
in the evening, it's still sunny and very hot and everybody on the beach. And that's the moment where they gave me like to do my little performance. I think two people saw it, three people saw it max. <laughs> and um, and on the, the those, so this why Visa was back for that show following year. So right. the first year was where I saw them. Second year was actually on the very big lineup, but you know, small, right. Very, okay. Down there, you know, like the small letters from contractor from back sheet or whatever. Nobody's reading. Them. Yeah. And when I finished, another guy came up to me, a black guy too, a very great rapper, uh, Kenny Lewis, crazy. I said, look, my boss wants to talk to you. I said, my boss, who's your boss? So the guy came, Spaniard, a Spanish guy, Luis Rodriguez, producer. He said, yeah, I'm living in Germany, in Hamburg. I've got eight studios. I was thinking like Spanish guy. He tell me eight studios. What eight studios? You know, maybe 80 studios or zero studios. But okay, he gave me the card. To make a long story short, when I arrived in in, uh, in Hamburg and I started doing the whole thing with uh, Get Down, and we had the playback almost on the instrumental. Uh, boom, the door opens. Yo, what you doing? This is great sound, blah, blah, blah. Who was this? The black woman from the big show I was seeing in, in Malaga. I was like, wow. She said, hey, what's your name? I said, Jerry. Oh, I'm Terry B. Terry B. Can oh, you wow. Imagine? No I was way. Like, wow, Terry B. She said, this sounds great, man. Can I sing on it? What, what the hell you, you uh, can sing on it but of course you can sing on it so she went into the, the the recording room she laid down some some vocals and everything we recutted and everything to make you know and uh that was my very first big hit with terry wow it was still my uh, nowadays 25 years ago or more and i really love her to death yeah she's, she's amazing a, i was just uh, gonna say like the next question who's the greatest singer for you of all time on the greatest singer. I can't say. It depends because you have house and house. Uh, you have, you know, the the color of voices are very different. Look, uh, I'm very sad with what's happening with Katie Brown, another diva of, uh, yeah. of house music. We did a great record. We did a couple of one, but this one Kathy, was called Kathy Brown. The... Kathy Brown. She's got cancer, right? She's uh, cancer. Yeah, stage yeah. four. So my friends in England, um, again, going back to Andy, Andy Cleek, he he owns Bowlers and he's doing all these like revivals and um, she's been doing a lot of gigs for them in Manchester. She was on the plane. I actually just shared one of her videos. She was on the plane coming over from the States and she's singing on the fucking plane, still belting out the, you know, the classic. But yeah, that's sad. That's sad news. Have you been in touch with her, have you? Uh, no, no, because it, we lost each other a little bit uh, because we're both very, very busy working. Of course, Instagram, yes. Hello, hello. What's up? What's up? But um, I, I will uh, say I love the Evelyn Champagne. Love comes down. That's still one of my favorite tunes. Yeah, I did um, a track with her. Uh, you know, this is for the second half of the the podcast where I'm going to tell you. And to the people that I'm a bipolar patient, and I had a mini brain stroke, uh, yeah, two So sometimes I just don't remember very obvious yep. things. The name of my own track that I did with Katie Brown. Um, it was monster track where amazing drop. She was really showing the the voice. She's a great singer. But look, for instance, also I love to work with my one of my best friends. She's called Sara Grimaldi. Sara Grimaldi. She's an Italian one. She did um, 
You remember the song, Can't Get Enough? Who can get enough? No, oh, Soul Search. Soul Searcher. Oh, that's one of my favorite tunes of all time. Yeah, He's defected. In fact, yeah. I think that, that was Defected 1, wasn't it? First, of, oh, no, it might, there might have been What You Need, but Soul Searcher was in the top three first Defected releases. It could have been number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah, first yeah. ever release on Defected. I'm pretty sure it was that. Banging. Amazing. He's still played nowadays. Still amazing. And mm -hmm. she's actually uh, the singer of Zucchero. Zucchero is one of the biggest Italian stars, ballads and stuff. Zucchero is very important. And she's the one singing with him always on stage, etc. Um, but we became very good friends. Actually, I have a new track coming out with her. I did already a couple of ones. This is really, really defective style also. Cool. Because to the upcoming DJs and producers, when they tell you follow the trend, don't, 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 yeah. don't. You know, if I can't make a certain kind of electronic music because I just don't feel it and I yeah. don't even know where to go find those tracks. Exactly. What am I? This is my suit. That's what I'm going to keep on doing. So, you know, a question when you listen to other people's stuff, do you know straight away that they've done that from the heart or you can tell they've done it from a ghost producer or? Just something that well, just done to try to get out there. There was no passion. Can you feel that in tracks? Because I do, definitely. What I hear is the difference between a producer and a DJ making music. Right. Uh, a huge, huge, huge gap there. Um, if it's ghost producer, but well, you you can have that intuition and say, okay, I know the guy seeing him playing and etc. etc. I'm not pretty sure that he's making the music, but I mean, again, the story with those producers, I think it's amazing. I don't know why people is is beefing so much about that. Why? Uh, uh, do, you, do you do I, much ghost? Do you do it? Are you all, all your stuff's yours? All my stuff is fine. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I also do production for other people that I, right. of course, can post. With names. your name, with your name on it, or with their name on it. I have different ways to work. So I get clients, they come and say, no, I just want to have my name on. So it's like a buyout. So I do the music, I do everything, and then I give them the rights. That's their song. They will okay. uh, pay me for that. I offer them also to say, okay, if you want to have my name on it, which could give you a, a good push or a good extra push, then, you know, I maybe charge a little bit more, but it's, so it's like new. So what yeah. happens if you make a tune and you end up really loving it and you want to keep it for yourself? Nah. <laughs> you don't do that? No, no, no. no. Fair is I, fair. Fair, fair is fair. fair. Okay, cool, cool. If they ask so, me to do a ghost production and I start the ghost production and I say, wow, this should be a bomb for myself. Yeah, but it's not for myself because they're paying me to do that. That's it. So we're going to get into talking about producing. Who who, who was the biggest influence for you to be a producer then, not a DJ? Well, where can we start? Obviously, Quincy Jones. Quincy uh, Jones, yeah. Good good call. Wow. Because everybody, great, everybody great. talks, the mainstream to always talk about Michael Jackson, but most, I'd say 78% people don't know who Quincy Jones really is, do they? Yeah, you know? it's Quincy Jones. Yeah, Most he's, he's the greatest of all time, I think. Um, that, yeah, as a producer. Um, more so producer. What, what tips What tips would you give to somebody who is trying to be a producer now? Question would be, what does you want to achieve with this production? Right. Does it 
somebody who is a good mixer and master and then you know doesn't give really a shit on being this being a hit or not being a hit just happy to 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 be out there uh if it's producer i mean okay let's give a generalized tip don't put pressure on yourself right ever Never think, like, oh, okay, I got to go to see, I got to make a hit because no, 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 no. Forget that. Secondly, don't compare yourself with anyone else. Yeah. That's bullshit. Wow. That's, that's uh, tough because I think everybody sort of does that. They, 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 they'll always start with a sound that they like ripped off from somebody else, I guess. Yeah. Really but then sounds like a ripoff and they will never get there where they want to be. Mm -hmm. So, compare yourself. I mean, if you like your sound, just do your sound. So, and these are two important uh tips the third tip is um it sounds very mainstream but stay true to yourself that's it do you because need to spend go on sorry yeah tell me now I'm, uh, do, do you need to spend a lot of money on on equipment to get started are you just honestly, need a laptop honestly no Right. Back then it was like that. We had to spend a lot of money because we had rooms, studio rooms. Yeah. All right. The studio room itself was already a bunch of money. If you wanted to have a real good one with bass traps and you know everything else. Blah blah blah. At the end of the day, why were we doing this? So you get the right sounds in your ears. Mm -hmm. From if you're programming or playing a bass line, then the sound of the baseline there has to be perfect anywhere else in the club, in the car, and you know, in the kitchen, uh, radio, whatever. But at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, how do I want this to sound? As soon as you have the answer uh, to that, you can use either a big ass studio or what I do, just a Mac laptop with my iPhone headphones and the line there here. That's my setup. Okay. That's how I produce. And, uh, <laughs> I don't have anything else, just the monitor and and. But now comes the magic. I know the plugins that I use. Right. I don't. I know what I want to hear. I see if I want to hear like this fatty bass uh, drum and some small snare drums on top of it, and then roaming the. So I I hear and that's what I want to listen to. If I have it in my head, I want to listen to that. So, but. Spending really a lot of money? No, because a lot of people, and and I went away from that. A lot of people, they open their computer and then they have like a million plugins. Mm. And those million plugins can do each another million things. Right. Problem is, we lose too much time searching for the right plugin. And this is totally killing our inspiration. Yeah. Back then, when I had my small studios, I had just like one sampler, one keyboard, a couple of um, of uh, uh, monitors, and that's it. So you were really obliged to, with what you have, make sounds. Is it is it worth going to one of these like schools, like Tool Room Academy? Because I have a friend who's just passed all of that, um, and he signed to Tool Room. But like for because I I learned DJing basically in my bedroom. I didn't go to any school. I just listen to people and stuff. But do you think you should go to school and educate yourself in a professional surrounding or you can just figure it out at home? Let me answer you this way. Everything what we can learn is always good. Yeah. The skill that we can get from wherever is always good. 
I will never say you should go to the DJ Academy or you shouldn't or you should buy the course by uh, Cat Cox and 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 um, who's the guy again? I forgot his name. Uh, the presenter from BBC One. Uh, oh, Pete Tong. Yeah, uh, Pete Tong. Thank shout, you. Shout out to Pete. I got to DJ with him in Vietnam. It was epic. <laughs> He's a now, good guy. So I I would never say oh don't do those courses bullshit. No, I mean learn the more you can learn. Get those skills again from wherever it is. If you buy that course and you say, okay, now I feel I have really gone to the very next step. Fantastic, fantastic. But at the end of the day, where is the little magic part here? It's like in everything. It's training, 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 and training. Yeah. Okay. Good. Because uh, that's the most important thing. So, um, from producer then. Where I got to know you the best is you created a a label called Interlabel, and um, right. we got in contact through the we. I was working for a record distribution in England. For for anybody who doesn't know what that means, basically, we were a giant warehouse full of vinyl, and we were trading vinyl with Europe and all around the world. All the biggest record shops in the world were getting vinyl from the likes of us, the likes of Sony, BMG, Subliminal in America, Eric Murillo. So I, I would, we would take records from Eric Murillo and he would take records from us. And there was, there was a lot of garbage. What my job was to do was to sell them records to little vinyl shops. But uh, my skill was I got to know the people on the phone. I didn't want to spend all day playing a record down a headphone on the phone. It took too much time. So I just said to somebody, how many house DJs do you have coming in on a Saturday? I've got 10, right? I'm going to send you 10 Jerry Repairo tunes. And if they all go, you can reorder them on Monday. That was my trick. And I tell you, by the time I'd finished putting all them records in boxes, all the other sales guys, they'd come to me, right. where's, all the, where's all the records gone? I've sold them all already. Um, just to let you know that we, we ended up doing Prider. We, we got the exclusive for Prider. And that was the biggest uh, reprint of a first press. We did 10,000 records in one day. We sold 10,000 Priders in one day. And we got a reprint, a repress of 25,000, which was, imagine you, what was your... Back them days, you probably press about five hundred tunes, one thousand because it was expensive. So, um, yeah, interlabel. Um, how did that come about? Interlabel was a very funny st uh, uh, story, as actually all my stories in life. Because one thing you have to know, and you know that, but I'm talking to the listeners and and people watching us. I'm a clown, so I never took life too seriously. Yeah, because me too. At the end, we're gonna die anyway, so I want to have fun. Um, so, so I met a guy called Stefan Grünwald. He was a uh, A&R at um, Edel Music, one of the biggest club uh, uh, labels worldwide from Germany. Together with Contour Records. Yeah, Contour, Contour was massive. Yeah, I remember them. Yeah, good. Jens Jens Taylor, also very good, cool guy, and um, and you know. Uh, I wanted to start a label. Then, unfortunately, Stefan Greenwald was uh, not with Edel anymore. I went up, talked to him, and said, look, Stefan, if you want, uh, you can come up, do the journey with me, and, and I think we're going to go do great things. I have artists from all the world that I know because of teaching, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's the right time to do a label. Yeah. And we were, at a certain point, the second biggest uh, electronic music record label in Germany. That's so right. we're 
It were really it were really very much appreciated by, who, by people. Who was your distributor then? Was it distributed through Germany or through Level Records? You remember Level Records in Spain, right, Alex? Yeah, I don't know, but we were distributing Spain by Blanco y Negro, obviously. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that was it. Because this this is the record label who gave me the very big first opportunity to to release records back then. Although I started producing Breakbeat. Yeah. You know that? Yeah, uh, no, I know. Th I think you, I recall that. Yeah, I was into Breakbeat. Was this like before Plump DJs, Stanton Warriors, like that kind of vibe? Or was it after? You remember I did that mix that you really liked and it was all like Breakbeat and I put your Tom Nolan yeah. track on there. You love that yeah, mix, yeah. didn't you? <laughs> yeah. I, that, yeah. That's when it was Break. like electronic, Breakbeat, crossover, house. I was really into all that shit. It was great. That's a great track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... So... The interlabel came about, and um, I you let me you signed me onto your label, which was my first ever signing, which uh was unbelievable. I felt like over the moon. Um, um just who did we have on the label? Mention some big names that I remember Ian Carey, one of my favorite DJs of all time, Tom Novi, Harry yeah, Chuchu Romero, Jesse Garcia, Jesse Garcia, rest in peace. Oh, wow, he passed away. I didn't know. Did he pass away? Yeah. Go, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Committed suicide, allegedly. Oh my God, I didn't know that. All right, P, brother. So, That's very uh, I also opened my, my own DJ agency. They had a lot of people. I didn't want to have anyone in exclusivity because, you know, when you say to somebody exclusivity, it sounds like, come and stay with me because I'm going to really fuck you up and rip you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but, you know, when, when you do a good job, people stay with you. You don't need to have any exclusivity. So that's a very easy thing. But there I had Harry Choo Choo. I had uh, David Vendetta. I had, obviously, Ian Carey. Um, yeah, Choo Choo I was still signed to Subliminal, right? He was on Sondos and everything. He was doing all those yeah. bangers. That was his own sub-label, Subliminal. Yeah, yeah. I Sondos. Had, but, I could book him too. We became, of course, very good friends since he uh, also signed Corazza uh, for the state. For um, me, that's that's when it, that's when the sound went all a bit too dark. You know, like uh, shiny disco balls and all that was pretty good. But then it went, it started going really dark. What was the other label? There was three labels on Subliminal. There was the black one, there was the white one, and then there was another one that was like the Subliminal Soul, and there was another one that was very tribally. Forgot the name, but that. It all went too too dark, you know. And yeah, then, of then course... the friends change, obviously. Yeah, I, yeah. I people ask me, Jerry. I mean, with, with you being bipolar, how come that every track that you do a remix sounds like very happy and and the sun goes up and everything? I said, but this has nothing to do with me being bipolar. It has to do with my character of being a very positive person. I yeah. just love it. You know, so I can't. When did you find if, out you was bipolar? Sorry, sorry. I, I tell you now, if, if when people come to me for a ghost production, they say oh, they want techno. Right. So when people me they want a ghost production, I always do the same. Say, send me three YouTube links of tracks that you like, and that could be an example for me to listen to the sounds that they use, etc. So in order to do your record. But then they send me some, uh, or back then, minimal. I was like, 
if I'm going to listen another 20 seconds more to this record, I'm going to go bollocks. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to destroy my studio. I, <laughs> so I was a fan of Minimal when I was in Bolivia. When I was DJing Bolivia, Peru, and all around that area, Minimal was kicking ass. In uh, Argentina, it, it was banging. I got to play with Dubfire in Colombia, which was fire, man. So, so good. But he was a crossover between, you know, thumping techno and then he'd go all minimally. There was a, there was a time, I think it was like 2006, 2007, Minimal was really, really in. But yeah, as a producer, I can imagine it would have been, as a house producer going to Minimal, it would have been strange. Yeah, but sometimes, you know, bro, it was like boom, 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 boom. I was like, okay, something. And then all of a sudden, just like one little song, and then I, <laughs> And I couldn't understand what happened because at least one other song came back <laughs> And then when right. they asked me to do it, I was like, okay, I, I, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't. I mean, if I can't produce it, then I'll, I'm also very straightforward and say, I can't. I can't do it. You know, I prefer to do R&B because I love producing R&B. Yeah. yeah. Um, and some, some um, don't kill me for that, please. But, so yes, um, you, you mentioned that you were bipolar. How did you find out you were bipolar? It's <laughs> a good question, which you're going to ask me again when I finish this. <laughs> Bit of sponsorship there. How are you getting paid for that? <laughs> I'm really trying to get paid for that. Since years. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Go with the question. So, yeah, you mentioned you were bipolar. How did that become right. a thing? Um, well, you know me, and a lot of people know too. <clears throat> I was suffering from a lot of depressions. Right. Um, of course, I was doing cocaine, pills, whatever you want, champagne, beer, you know, DJ, DJ lifestyle. The DJ lifestyle, yeah. Not from every DJ, but at least the DJ lifestyle. And um, I was living at that moment in Hamburg, in Germany. I was like very tired of being depressed the way I was depressed. Yeah. It was tough. And sometimes it was just out of the blue, all of a sudden sadness. And so I decided to go see a psychiatrist. And right. I, I wanted this. And the psychiatrist told me it has nothing to do with drugs. People listen very good to that. It has nothing to do with drugs because a mental disorder is normally genetic. And they diagnosed me with bipolar 2. You have two types of bipolar, bipolar 1, bipolar 2, bipolar 1 and bipolar 2. Back then it was called manic depressive disorder, which really sounded like, oh my God, this guy has to go, you know, in-house directly. And um, they gave me the option of going on with the life I have and doing drugs and doing this, doing that, or to really uh, stop with all that shit and go from illegal drugs to legal drugs, which is medication right. and therapy. So I decided to do that. And I can assure everyone a million percent that I'm feeling much better, that I have a much better life, much more stable life. I became way calmer. Yeah. Uh, people don't change, but people can, can learn, that's for sure. And the situation are actually changing, not people uh, themselves. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, they were therapy. I fell in love with that therapy. I was, <laughs> oh, wow, awesome! That's it. 
this is really amazing. So I'm going to a guy or a woman or whatever it is, and 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 I sit there, speak for an hour, hour and a half, maybe sometimes just about the music or just about the weather, or whatever. And after going out of the office, I was like feeling much better. I said, there are some tricks I need to learn that. So that's why I started studying. And I started studying, studying, studying. And then beside that, I stumbled on a video of Richard Bandler, Dr. Richard Bandler, who is the co-founder of NLP. And I stumbled on a video on YouTube. I was like, listen, those two and a half hours was like, So wait, NLP is Neuro Linguistic Programming, right? Right. Sorry, sorry. So NLP. So, Europe... so hang on, just to stop a second. So you had a mental issue. Instead of letting it defeat you or just rely on medicine, you went and studied it to improve yourself because yeah. you wanted to find the root yeah. of the cause and be able yes. to help other people, right? Correct. 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 So That's incredible. There, there I found my calling. I was yes. like, okay, if I can learn this, I can be very helpful to other people because Amazing. it's not only learning about the symptoms like you know like when you study the symptom of a disorder it's also because i feel them i go yeah. through that so i can feel my patients and my clients way more better so what and is this neuro linguistic programming for other people who don't know what it is neuro linguistic programming is okay first we have to know one thing when you read about that on wikipedia wherever there's a lot of people without any kind of knowledge who is criticizing NLP as a pseudo uh, science. A pseudo science, yeah. We, we hear this. We hear this all the time. If something's pseudo science, it generally means it's truthful or helpful. There you go. Let's get we have to away. We know what's happening with our clients. And Actually, more and more psychiatrists and psychologists, psychoanalysts, etc., they are studying NLP because they know it's powerful in order to help their own patients. So what is NLP exactly? NLP is a new technology to teach the brain to think much more logical, yeah. much more simple. All right? Yeah. So let me give you an example. If you go, if somebody's wife dies or husband died, they go to the uh, psychologist. Of course, they fucked up. That's for sure. And the psychologist said, the grieving time is going to be one and a half year to two years. This person comes out manipulated, of course, that it's going to uh, take that long. Why is that? Because the doctor told them, yeah. Good. We, with NLP, we say, okay, for the brain, grieving one and a half year is the same like grieving one and a half month, like grieving one and a half hour. The brain doesn't know. Mm -hmm. The brain doesn't know anything about time. The brain doesn't know if we are in the present, in the future, or in the past. Right. So the brain really gives a fuck. It hurts here in the heart, in the emotions, yeah. but the brain itself doesn't know. Right. So what happens? If we can teach the brain to think differently, then instead of being one and a half year suffering, there will be maybe a... Hello? Still there? Yes. 
Yeah. Okay, Did wait I, a second. I think we just had a bit of a we had a bit of a slowdown there. So uh, you were saying about the brain. Yeah. Does it ha the brain has no um knowledge of past, present, or future? After that, what did Correct. you say? Correct. So the brain doesn't give a shit. Yeah. So what about taking the grief instead of one and a half year, one and a half month, one and a half hour to just one and a half hour, really one and a half hour wow. session. Cool. And then stop that griefing. Amazing. Because they, this is proven to work, right? People don't need to suffer. That's for sure. Okay, we have pain. Pain is coming in. That's true. Now, we can limit the suffering time. I tell that also to some uh, people who are couples, for example. I say, okay, good. Couple therapy. Because I never believed in couple therapy. I believe in couple fixing their problem. Right. So, now... If she's, for example, is a woman that when she's angry, she's three days in front of the wall in the bedroom, not talking, angry. The guy is like, okay, can we please be friends again? Can we please fix it? And it has to wait three hours. This mm -hmm. is bullshit. Now, the person can say, okay, I'm going to be three days very angry with my husband. Or I'm going to be one day very angry with him. Maybe just one or two hours. Let's say you put a limit of two hours. In those two hours, you can be angry. You can say what you want. You can do what you want. You can break the whole house down if you want. But after two hours and one minute, it's over. It's over. Because we're not here to waste our time. Because this is a waste of time. Mm. Forget that they came together because they love each other. So limit the bullshit. The same is with the trauma. A trauma is something that happened X years ago to somebody. Yeah. And this has been anchored in the subconscious and bothering them the whole life. Yeah. But we, with an NLP session, we can take that anchor out and put another one in. Cool. It's actually so you, easy. So you usually only do one session? or? Well, I do one-to-one -one session, obviously. Um, I also do webinars. I'm starting to do seminars again after pandemic. Now they have more free time. But and, what I'm uh, saying is with clients who go to psychologists, they usually go for like many, many sessions, right? But with you, you're saying that they could go and just have one session and they'll be fixed. Right. Right. Wow. Right. Right. Isn't, that, isn't that kind of bad for business? <laughs> it's the worst. If you know what I mean. But at least it's honest. It's worst. <laughs> yeah. It's the worst for business. But right. you get clients. But at the end, it's like if people say, oh, but that's expensive. So I don't know how much you value your life in dollars. And if yeah, you yeah. think taking away your trauma in one and a half hours is going to be very expensive, I don't think you're that traumatized. Why just you think you're bullshitting or just not putting any value? Then you prefer to go and spend a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. It's like people when they go and buy a, a TV. I say, wow, well, it's the same TV. It just, you know, nobody knows who manufactured that. And instead of paying $1,000 for a TV, you're paying $150. But yeah, this is going to break down in three months. Then you have to spend another $150. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to spend another $150. At the end, it's much better that you buy one with $1,000 that you know it's a good brand and everything. This, this is, this is, that's a very idea. good point. When you're dealing with trauma, you've got to get to the root of it rather than delay it or just, you know, put it off because it will come back. It's like, it's like people who go on diets. 
They go on no <laughs> carb diet, and then as soon as they start eating carbs again, they get fat. But I just want to bring of up course. something. There was a doctor that I saw in in the US, and he actually lost his um his medical license because he created a, a clinic for vet, war veterans who had PTSD, and these people. They could go, um, you know, in the in the military. You've been in the military. In the military, they've no no problem crossing the street and gun guns firing. You know, no problem with that at all. But when they come home, if they were in the supermarket and some friend came up to them and tapped them on the shoulder, <laughs> they'd, they'd, they'd freak out, and they weren't able to um, hug their children or, or anything like that. So right. PTSD was funding the military because they were giving all these medical. Um, they were making money off the medical packs for the soldiers, yeah. so they, they wanted him to be sick. So anyway, this guy, two sessions I'm... of MDMA treatment, where they basically blindfolded the soldiers and they made them talk about it on MDMA, and within two sessions they were they were cured. So because of that, this this doctor got his medical license taken away. Now he's thriving because everybody who's gone there, there's a hundred percent success rate with PTSD. You know what I'm saying? So. I believe in that. Um, and last, sure. you know, last year I had a meltdown. I uh, I was also mad. I got hooked on coke. I was um, I was pounding beers. I was I lost my job. I, I went to a place that not many people will, will understand. Where what what I considered to be a safety net, it disappeared, and I just kept falling and falling. And it was terrifying, Jerry. It was it was the most terrifying thing in my life. Where I I, I, was, I nearly took my own life because I couldn't handle how quickly my 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 entire safety net had disappeared it was just so traumatizing uh, let me and, tell uh, you it's very beautiful that you're speaking about that now let me simplify this for you mm-hmm. you were falling down falling down falling down like a lot of people is falling down nowadays even more and 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 without because of other stories and and if, if the war or in things in the family and you're falling down, 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 because nobody ever came to you explaining you how the tools of not falling down work. Exactly. You just, you just, you can, you, I thought I was already prepared for that. I thought I was a very confident person, you know, especially being at my age that I was at. I had a good group of friends, but they all dist, I don't blame my friends for distancing themselves. They, they tried to help me and I actually started pushing away people that were trying to help me. And luckily they're still around and we can laugh about it now. I can laugh. I can talk to it about with my son about it. Cause he saw it. Um, and yeah. I think I was schizophrenic. I mean, it was bizarre. I took, took so many psychedelics in my life, but this was like next level. This was, this was so, t- t- it's just, just crazy. Yeah. So I, I sympathize with anybody who says they've got mental issues. And I know there's so many people out there. And for anybody that is out there, um, one of the reasons I wanted to invite you on here is if they want to try this NLP, then you're now uh, fully qualified NLP therapist, right? Yeah, I'm an NLP uh, and hypnosis uh, practitioner licensed by Richard Bandler and Juan Antonio Perez, the two big, big guys from, from NLP. Yeah. How can how can somebody contact you about that? You've got a website, right? Yeah, just go on Instagram. Instagram, Jerry Ropero Official, double F. You will have the WhatsApp button there. Just write me. People will attend you there, and then they will pass me, uh, or they will pass them to me. Well, I'll, I'll put a link in the uh, in the podcast anyway, because I think Thank it's really right. fascinating. And, yeah, I mean, so I remember just 
I was talking, I, I hadn't spoke to you for quite a while, and then I did a video chat with you, and you said you'd had a stroke, right? Yes. So what was that? What year was that? This is uh this was August 14th, 2019. So what happened? Where were you when this happened? You do you remember it or was it a blackout? I remember mostly what my friends told me, right? Wow. Um, and this is very important too. I love always to say it's important because it is important. Yeah, yeah. It's all important. Cancer, COVID, the people who want it. Um, it's all curable things. Let's say they have a, a, a ratio of, of curability. curability sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stress. Is the real motherfucker. I'm sorry for the name, but I have to say it. stress is the real asshole. When stress comes and knocks on your door, say, okay, guy, now you got to come with me. We got to talk. Yeah. yeah I, call them, I call them the demons. Yeah, the demons. The demons, right. Yeah. So I was working together with two partners on a very huge project. Um, then something happened, different thing. But 10 months later, I just had the same PDF. Then I had 10 months later, I didn't have the mobile application done. I didn't have anything. And uh, it was really that. hard. Yeah, I remember that. You remember? Project. Yeah, yeah. And I was living in Romania back then, Bucharest, beautiful city. Um, beautiful people too, really nice people. And, um, <clears throat> sorry. So all of a sudden I get a gig to go playing uh, Almeria, the South of Spain. A place called Mojacar, very, very nice to go in the summer. I really recommend that. And uh, I played daytime, really nice, in front of the beach, everything perfect. I was already not doing drugs, not drinking. I mean, I quit drugs 15, almost 16 years ago, drinking, not a zip. That's, that's, when, they busted, that's when they busted Pablo Escobar, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I got through. you quit. <laughs> did it. He killed himself. He, they didn't catch him. He killed himself. He said, okay, look, my, my, my biggest uh, uh, customer is gone. So, so God, you're on the beach and everything's going good. And what happened next? So next day, it was like a beach club. And then next day, we went to have um, I went to have lunch there. Really nice lunch. Blah, 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 blah. And then they told me that my head all of a sudden fell. Wow. And played next my plate. Um, they brought me to the to the room. I was shivering. It was more than forty degrees. I was shivering. Uh, and next day, I had to fly. And as I'm a little bit gaga, cuckoo, my head. So next day, I was really feeling bad. So like a little bit lost everywhere. And uh, they said, okay, we're gonna bring you to the hospital. I said, no, no, I'm going to fly back to to Bucharest. And I did that. Um, so when I was at the airport of Madrid, and I just like. You know, jumbled and, and fell down. I was like, oh, what's going on? You know, what happened? So I had the toilet at that side. I stood up like, yeah, I, you know, I hurt my knee and went to the toilet. I looked at the mirror and I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I said, that's it. Oh. Bingo. So I put my, um, my sunglasses. I well, your, face, I your face was melting like from the stroke, I don't think. It's just dragging yeah, down. Yeah. Laying wow. a little bit. Yeah, and then oh, my lip was, wow. oh, and wow. my arm, 
my leg. And so I went there and I said to the gate, uh, say, look, I just fell down and here my heart, that's why I have the, 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 the eyeglasses. Can you put me in the plane? Because it's hurting my whole back. So I just started like that, you know. And I lied, obviously. I was also very stupid to 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 take a plane, to take a, uh, to have a flight with that thing in my head. Yeah. And as soon as I, I landed in Bucharest, I went to the hospital. And they said, okay, look, it's a mini brain stroke, so it's not really there on on the CT uh, or the MRI, uh, only the big ones we can see. But we think that it hit you a little bit there on the lobe where the, the talking uh, memory is and everything. So it's true, it's true, it's true. Now, physically, I'm okay. I look wow. as ugly as but in my head sometimes I just like I don't remember things and it's not because of the age it's really because of, of that thing so for instance I see a bottle of Coca-Cola there and I want to ask you to give me the Coca-Cola but I don't remember how to say I mean right. I know it's Coca-Cola but I don't know how to say right if I'm talking too fast look for a speaker it's really bad so when I'm talking too fast my uh, tongue starts rolling like you know my head is going faster than my tongue. And then I have to go down, you know, go back a couple of gears and talk slowlier, and then it works out. But important message to the people out there. Stop with your stupid excuse. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I mean, I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm not different as, uh, as you guys, and but I'm hustling also every day. People say, yeah, but you're a millionaire. You have a lot of kids, but it's not about that. It's about daily hustling. Come on, yeah. the daily motivation. My God, people is really worse. And and it's also about evolving as well. <clears throat> you got to evolve, you know. You don't have yeah, to just be one thing all your life. And that's that's the most saddest thing about anybody who lives the life just doing the same thing and not taking a risk. Right. I saw I sold everything. Man. I sold all my house in England, went traveling around the world because I wanted my parents to see the world with my eyes. And I ended up with a son that looks like my mom. So if I hadn't took that chance, I would have been. You know, just that little fish in a bowl all alone. <laughs> they did good. They did good. Yeah, there's still Very plenty more to come. I mean, this is what this podcast is all about for me now. It's like I've had a scare. I've also got all these great experiences that I want to share with people. And then everybody's got a story. It doesn't matter. I, f I find that when I speak to people on here, people just become vulnerable and just be themselves, you know, and I love that. Um, so um, what's what's the plans for the future now? With this, you're gonna stick with the NLP, or do you still do you still enjoy playing out? Because I still see you you're still touring and gigging and stuff, right? Yeah, way less, way less now. But yeah. uh, of course, NLP is taking big chunk of my my day away because I love it so much and because I love to help people so much. I I see what's happening. Um, the other day, I had like a whole afternoon. Uh, only uh, being busy with people who is, even if it's people from Israel or Palestine, uh, to me right now, as a professional in the mental health, uh, I have to stay neutral. And, and I've been like pro bono, um, attending people who is living outside, you know, in other countries, and they don't know what to do. They're going crazy when they see what's happening at their half or the other half. And... Uh, maybe no money to have a counselor, no money to have uh, somebody a little bit more professional to speak to. So I've been attending from one side to me, 
My side is, is humanity. Uh, I don't like to go into politics. If I go into politics, I do it privately between my. Yeah. That's uh, why. I don't think. So, so as a as a person who's studied a lot about you know mental health and stuff, and then we had the COVID, and and you're still playing out now, and you're an old school DJ. How how would you say that club culture has changed or society's changed? Like you know, crowd, the, how the crowd reacts to music, is it is it better or is it, you know, what do you think? It's a good question. I don't think it's better or worse. I think it's just evolution, and either we go with the evolution or we don't. Uh, me honestly, there are a lot of genres that I really don't feel it. Yeah. But if I do, then it's okay. Uh, important is that they still like what I like to do. Yeah. And uh, I follow some trends, but at the end, when you listen to my production, it's still chair of her production. And um, of course, I hear from people, oh, you you should look the same what I said before with the DJ thing. Oh, for each project that you do, different style of music, different name. Well, no. Yeah. Um, you should have different Instagram accounts, you know, as an LP practitioner, as a musician, as a remixer. No, 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 no. Let them all come to me. That's yeah. much easier for because then they see each other I can do a lot of things. And that's always yeah. that because the more I can do, the more I can offer to people because that's what it is about. So... Has it changed? Is it worse? Is the world better with the new music or the old music? I don't know. Uh, I never say that it's old or 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 newer music. I, I say there's good and less good music. What's your, what's your what's a funny clubbing story you can tell us? You share with us like a legendary clubbing story. I went to I went to the Playboy Mansion and uh, hung out with Jamiroquai and Snoop Dogg, and uh, apparently J Lo was there, and I was running around trying to find her all night, like stalking J-Lo. But I actually, I did a line of cocaine with David Bowie. <laughs> and this is what happened. I put mine down on the table. He sniffed mine. And then he gave me his, and his was way shitter than mine. And he just walked off. And I wasn't a Bowie fan back then. But my boss was like, did you, you realize that was David Bowie? And I was like, nah, it's somebody dressed as him. It was the real David Bowie before he died. So that's that's a bit of a legendary moment for me. I wasn't a Bowie fan. I would have been starstruck now if that had happened. But can you share one of your legendary clubbing stories? Oh, so many. I'm really <laughs> trying to, to remember one or them. Um, of oh, course, it, I, it, I, I had this cocaine fun with a lot of Extremely big celebrities. I'm not even talking about in the music industry. I'm talking the Hollywood industry. Yeah. That nobody thought, um, which I'm not going to disclose the names out of respect. Not the, not the, bla- not the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> you just did, yeah. you did, a tra- you did a big, massive track with Black Eyed Peas, which is huge. Yeah. 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 Well, we, we decided to do my song, Corazao, here in the yeah. heart. Um, and the new, I mean, exactly the new music, the same music, but instead of Jacqueline, my original singer, yeah. to have the black eye singing on it, turned out very nice. Yeah. Um, uh, Damien, the producer, is is an amazing producer, very nice guy too. Will I am doing the vocals uh, and okay. arranging. The- so we had a lot of fun producing that, and it's a very big hit. And and I love the melody, and I love the 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 new fresh vibe that we have on this. So yeah, 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 I'm very happy. Super happy, yeah. Okay, yeah. what's your proudest moment overall before we wrap this up? 
your proudest moment in life? You, you have children? Unfortunately, not. No, you do. Me. You're officially adopting yes. me. So okay. we're gonna That's we're true. gonna wrap this podcast up by telling everybody that Jerry Rapero is my new father and that's a wrap. Jerry, listen, my friend, I love you to death. You've been an absolute superstar. Thank you for sharing all those experiences. And Thanks. it's the first time I've ever had a big guest on my podcast. So let's see where this goes. I cannot thank you enough. I love you with all my heart. You've always been a huge influence on me. I mean, I was playing your records with all my, my heart and soul. And then I got to hang out with you at Pasha. I got signed to your label and you've been in touch with me ever since like a father. So you have now got a new son, my brother. Okay. Thank you, my son. And my son, <laughs> I all this, this new adventure of podcasting. I know you have the skills that it's going to be successful. Thank you. As I'll, 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 soon as I, uh, where are you these days? You still in Hamburg? Oh, I don't even know where I am. No, no, I'm a couple of days on holiday in Spain. Oh, wow. But, uh, well, let, let's meet up and we'll uh, smash a cerveza. Oh, you, you're not drinking beer anymore, right? I'm not drinking anything anymore. I always okay. say if I woman and she drank like one mojito and she gives me a kiss i'll be completely deaf with a terrible hangover next day so no, no. all right i'll give you those those besos and abrazo okay oh. mi amigo muy bien mi buenas noches muchas gracias adios amigo jerry repero my friends thank you very much bye thank you sir ciao <laughs> yeah